do the BIM? What the hell is a BIM? We're talking about the Apple today on Cinema Oblivia. Welcome to Cinema Oblivia, your home for discussions on movies that are forgotten, unremembered, thrown away, discarded, or otherwise, you know, not talked about. I'm your host, James Eldred, and who is joining me today? This is BIM maniac himself, Shane Bettenhausen. I'm so excited to be here to defend my favorite bad movie of all time, 1980s, The Apple, presented by The Canon Group. Yeah, we'll get there. So, Shane... Uh, tell people, tell if people listening about yourself, they don't know who the hell you are. Uh, well, yeah, a long time ago, back in like the silver age of podcasting, I was on a video game podcast called One Up Yours that was super fun. And then I am a frequent, occasional guest star on Retronauts, which you on sometimes on really good episodes. Yep. And then uh, I'm also once in a while on the Eight Four Play podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've known you for I'd say almost a decade, and I think I. Not- I Maybe, maybe eight, six, seven years. I don't know. It's been a while. No, yeah, right after I moved here, we, we, we met when you came here that one yeah, time. And, and yeah, yeah well, and I, we I was up. a fan of your blog. So well, thank you very much. Yes, lostturntable.com. That is still being updated. I'm the last oh. one who has been. I'm, it's the last you're the, you're, yeah, blog. You're the last standing of those great, great music, deep cut, deep cut, like 12 inch remix blogs that yeah. make me so happy. Can't and like, stop me. You're unstoppable. And every time I visit Japan, which used to be every year in the old times oh, before the yeah. collapse, you you and I would go for a wonderful day of uh, digging through the crates around the wonderful record stores of Shinjuku yes. uh, and then grab a cocktail and I'd say hi to Noriko. And I miss all that. So hopefully... Nor- Norio, not Noriko. Norio. Oh, Noriko is the hot, <laughs> hot chick. Sorry. Yeah. My I, boyfriend I is not a hot chick. I met your beautiful boyfriend, Norio. Well, thank Sorry, you. Norio. Thank you. It's okay. Well... Yes, like you said, we are talking about The Apple today. The Apple is a 1980 disco musical about the evils of the record industry, told in a very not subtle way. And you chose this movie out of my list that I gave you. I kind of hate you for it, but why did you choose The Apple? It's my favorite bad movie of all time. And I guess I would tell my, like, you know, origin story with it. Please do. Why that happened. And, like, you know, it's interesting because when you were pitching this podcast of like kind of forgotten movies, like the Apple is a perfect one because when I saw it on the marquee for a midnight movie triple feature um, back at the four star theater in San Francisco, this would have been about 2005, 2006, when there was an amazing summer midnight for maniacs was the name of it uh, run by this guy, Jesse. And like he would program these crazy triple features to, to end it all right at the end of the season. And okay. when one year it was like, I think Revenge of the Cheerleaders, which I love, which is a great, a great terrible movie. Uh, Joysticks, which is another. Joystick. Oh, I saw that last week. Oh, yeah. it's, it's really good. It's really good slash bad, right? Uh, and and then finally at like five in the mo- four in the morning, the Apple. And I had never heard of the Apple. I didn't know what the Apple was. Mm-hmm. And like none of my friends had ever heard of the Apple. And by that point, at that night with all that partying, it was it was just revel- re- you know, like it was a revelation of badness and goodness and kind of everything I wanted from a bad schlocky musical. 
Um, and I got kind of obsessed with it. And like, it came out on DVD, I think a few years later, and I bought the DVD and just like forced all of my friends to watch it over and over again, one by one. So I've probably seen, I've probably seen the Apple something like 25 times. Oh my. It's well, a, it's a problem. My, my history doesn't go as detailed as yours. Um, I used to work for a company that sells videos uh, at a wholesale level. And I remember the Apple because the MGM, because they own it, they MGM announced it, and then it got delayed forever. So it was one that I would see in the coming soon section of the... But like as a kid, you're like a few years younger than me, but you, you had never heard of the Apple, right? Like I, I had never heard of it. Never I, heard of it, ever. I ever. don't know if it ever got a VHS release. If it did, it was not at my dad's video store. And that's how I, you know, that's the majority of exposure. The thing, like, yeah. like in college, midnight movies and stuff, like nobody, like I never heard about it. It wasn't in the cult section of the one good video store growing up by me. Like no, but like zero cultural resonance in America whatsoever. Yeah, zero. And also right. I think if you're the kind of person who's like going to, you know, not to stereotype, but most bad movie programs, most bad movie aficionados, they're straight dudes. Yeah. And uh, a disco musical isn't going to be on their radar. I'm just going to put that out That's there. That's true, because I'll say, like, uh, I would argue, you know, I, I would fast forward to the end, but, like, over quarantine, I watched for the first time ever, uh, you uh, can't stop the music. Have you seen 1980s Can't Stop the Music? I have owned Can't Stop the Music on two different DVDs and on a Blu-ray. So, having watched, for the first time in my life, Can't Stop the Music during the last year, I would say... Mm-hmm. I think unequivocally the Apple is more successful at being a disco musical than Can't Stop the Music. We'll have a debate about that. And, you know, overall, just Can't uh-huh. Stop the Music rated G, full frontal male nudity. Like, hey, man, get him started young. <laughs> anyway, uh, I, I hadn't seen the Apple until uh, much later when it, it ended up on Netflix streaming. Uh, back when they used to stream old movies, they they barely ever I do that. I found a whole new audience of like millennials and Gen Z on the on the yeah. And back then, I had I was writing reviews for my own website, and I, I I wrote about it, and I didn't like it. This was like 2013. It was kind of before the movie became like more of an infamously bad film. It was it was yeah, it was I, well known as a bad film, but it wasn't like oh my god, you have to see it. It's the worst movie ever made. And so I watched it, didn't like it. What do we view about it? Were you sober? I was. Yeah, probably. That's I usually, if I'm gonna, if I'm to the to the to the home listener, this mm-hmm. is a ideally like two or three drink or something else minimum. And like by the time I saw it at five in the morning, we'd eaten a lot of Jello shots. I mean, it's oh dear. Yeah, like you kind of have to be, I say, in the right frame of mind for this film. Yeah, more than kind of. Yeah, yeah I ideally think- like almost blackout drunk. <laughs> well, I, ideal for, I, for me, ideally, this drunk, uh, blacked out, blacked out, you know, so I don't remember it. It's such a strange movie. So, like, they came out in 1980. It was made in 1979. Uh, it's prime. It's you know, the music in the movie is predominantly disco. Oh, it's very disco. But, but, but yeah, there's a disco through through line. But it's you know, but it clearly also is influenced by Broadway. But also, mm-hmm. there's a reggae. There's a little. There's rock. Oh, is there reggae? Yeah. There's reggae. There's rock. There's some sappy ballads. You know, mm-hmm. but like disco is the through line, and the best, the best musical pieces, show pieces are the disco. Clearly. Yeah. Oh, without question. Without like question. the, the only question. music in the movie I uh, objectively in, enjoy is yeah. the disco music. But oh, yeah. yeah, the movie was made in 1979, and it was the brainchild of 
two uh, people from Israel, uh, Kobe and Iris. Well, I think. And this this is information that we didn't know that I yeah, didn't know yeah. until recently. And what's amazing is that, like it's loosely autobiographical. I mean, the original well, story, the original source material, which is far well, ahead, which is far from what we see on the screen. Yeah. But, so yeah. yes. So Kobe Recht, I think his name was. He is a Israeli rock and roll star. If you see any interviews with him, he paints himself as a. I'm a pretty big deal. I don't know if he is a pretty big deal, but. You know, he 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 was he had singles released. He yeah. had albums released in the late sixties, early seventies. And him and his wife wrote this movie, but wrote this script. The, the idea for what they wanted to be a stage production, and they couldn't get any funding for it because it was very ambitious, very over the top, would cost a lot of money. So Kobe knew a man named Menahem, I don't know if I'm saying that, Menahem, Menahem Golan. Who is Menahem the Golan. co-owner of Canon, the Canon Group, right? Oh, yeah. So, Menahem and Golan. Director knew, of many other good films. Yeah. The director of not many good films. The producer. <laughs> Did he over, of, didn't he direct Over the Top? No, he, 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 might have, he might have directed that, yes. But he, yeah. he mostly produced. Like, he produced hundreds of movies. Some very good, some terrible, wide variety. We'll get some, to Canon Group. Six, well, I'll get to Canon Group okay. in a minute. Yeah. But... Kobe knew uh, Golan from when he was a kid because Golan had a theater in Israel and Cody was a singer there as a, as a child. So he pitched it to Golan and Golan's like, no, no, fuck, fuck we'll make it out a movie, okay? We're going to go to L.A. They didn't, they didn't go to L.A. We're going we're gonna to film it. It's going to be a huge movie. Well, it's going to be a big and, deal. And this is in, in the wake of the success of Saturday Night Fever and... Oh, and Grease. And Grease, right. So the... And, right. And like even... And like, you know, big big musicals like Jesus Christ Superstar. You know, it's like... It's of the era, too. There was a very brief... So like the musicals died in the 60s. They made a very short comeback in the late 70s and then died again really until Chicago. Yeah. Uh, the movie came out. But and when this went into production, it might have seemed like a good idea. Maybe. Maybe, yeah. So you know, they get the they get the idea for the movie. Golan likes it. Golan apparently then drastically reworks the script. Right, he has uh, a screenwriting credit, and he has a screenwriting well, credit, uh, and he takes out takes out a lot of the uh, like allegory of the dystopia and focuses more on the love story. Right. Yeah. yeah. It was it was pitched originally as 1984 with music. Uh, right. And, and very Orwellian. In like it kind of just turns into like a rewrite of Faust with like yeah it becomes yeah. much more Faustian yeah uh, the Orwellian aspects are definitely there that it is a big through line to the film but I mean the movie's called the Apple that is that is the subtext <laughs> as text the 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 Apple you know as in and two two virginal young people get I mean, tempted by the Apple it manages, so, it manages to be a clumsy retelling of both Faust and the Bible <laughs> being very moralistic. All at the same time. Yes. It's incredibly moralistic. <laughs> yes. So, yes. So, he put in all these ideas. Kobe didn't like them. He didn't have much say in it. Aren't they also uh, rewriting the music at this point, too? Rewriting like, the music. Yeah. Rewriting all kinds of stuff. You know, lots of changes are being made. And the writers are getting upset, right? They're, they're, they they're, got upset, yeah. but they couldn't do anything about it. You know, they with the deal they had. The budget got huge. I think the budget was $10 million, which in 2021 money is over $30 million. So... That's a huge budget for a small movie like this. The production, you know, seemed to, the production seemed to go okay for the most part. There were some issues with behind the scenes drama. Apparently, he fired his editor halfway through, and you can tell, and you know, stuff like that. But when they were making it, they seemed to have really high expectations for it. And 
you know, it kind of shows with who's working on the film. So you have you have uh, Golan. It's produced with him and Globus, his cousin, Yoran Globus. Globus and Golan formed the Canon Group. Uh, or they bought the Canon Group and it became big under them. And the Canon Group, if you've seen any B-movie from the 80s, you've seen the Canon Group well, film. And they some did. of them were successful. Like Delta Force is probably number one well, or something, some right? Of them are, and some, they made good movies too. Like, you know, yeah. Breakin's a good movie. Breakin's good. Barfly is an actual, like, artistic oh, yeah. movie. And that would always rent. Like, that would always be out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, they made a film that's coming out on Blu-ray, I think, this week called Runaway Train. Uh, that is based on a script by Akira Kurosawa, starring John Voight, Eric Roberts, and Rebecca De Mornay. And that movie, that movie is incredible. That is one of the best action films of the '80s. And but you know, he also did you know the missing in action films, Bloodsport, yeah. Cyborg, the He-Man movie of Dolph Lundgren, yeah. American Ninja. Canon Group is responsible for the Ninja Boom of the of the mid '80s. But, but it's so, interesting, like at the time as a kid, I was aware that like it wasn't the same as a Warner Brothers or 20th Century. Oh Fox. yeah, it was like you know it wasn't even an Orion or a TriStar. It was like oh, this is not quite the same level, right? Yeah. So like yeah. you know, in in movie distribution, Canon's a smaller company. Company, I would say they take up the same space as a company like American International Pictures. American International Pictures was Roger Corman's company, and they were the kings of the B movies in the sixties and seventies. I would say Canon. Canon is the absolute king of the straight to video, or if not straight to video, big on video market. They sure. dominated them to invest ten million dollars in this kind of indulgent musical that's ill, ill-timed. Yeah, not not good. You know, joining him, waking it, um, the the music, not the songs, but the score is by uh, George Clinton. Not that George Clinton. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it is by the George Clinton who did the music for Mortal Kombat, the movie. Oh, really? And Austin, yeah, and Austin Powers and Wild Things. He's a good composer. And and a few canon films. You know, the, a lot of canon regulars are on here. The cinematographer is a guy named David Guffinkel. He did Over the Top. Enter the Ninja, Revenge of the Ninja, Ninja Ninja Ninja, the Delta Force. Like so, you know, he's obviously gets along well with him. And the choreographers are interesting too because this movie has a lot of dance numbers. They're bad, and he became, and, he became very well known later. Yeah. Yes. So there's two of them. There's Ken Warwick and Nigel Lithgow. Uh, they're both very British, and uh, they both worked on what became a pop idol and American Idol. And Nigel Lithgow is the creator and producer and the ju- one of the judges on So You Think You Can Dance. So these guys, they got out of canon and they did quite well for themselves. You know, so good on them. Oh, you can't tell it in this film. We get ahead, but like, I would argue some of the dancing is good. <laughs> it, it, the, the dancing is often... When there is good dancing and good musical numbers, it's ruined, in my opinion, by the by the music itself and the editing. The editing is terrible, uh, but we'll get there. Uh, yeah, some is good. Some is good. Well, coming is good. The that whole number is great, but we'll get to that in a bit. Uh, in the movie, <laughs> um, very strange cast of the a combination of nobodies. Kind of failed singers, B movie actors, uh, big run runs the lot. So like the main stars of the film are George Gilmore as Alfie and Catherine Mary Stewart as BB. They are basically the Carpenters. Wait, and well, and they're the least likable protagonists of all of all time, quite potentially. Which one, B- Alfie? Alfie. Alfie's so Alfie. Alfie's so terrible that he makes BB's like more dumb performance seem okay by comparison. 
Alfie's pretty. Um, I think, you know, I think one of the reasons why they cast him in the role is because he's pretty and he filled out those jeans is very he, nicely. Is he doing the same actor doing the singing or not? I think with him, he's a singer. Yes, I, he's I a singer. So. Yeah, he's like, he's, yeah, he, he looks the part. He can sing, but he's, yes. he can't really act very well. Yes. No. And the, his counterpart is BB. BB is played by Catherine Mary Stewart. See, she's a, not a big actress, but she continues to work. She was in The Last Starfighter. She really? was in uh, Night of the Comet, one of my favorite movies from I, the I 80s. I just bought that Blu-ray. It's on my shelf. Uh, I would never own it, but it's fun. Um, she was in Weekend at Bernie's. So, you know, she's doing okay. <laughs> See, she's, she's one of those people that if you go to the IMDb page, it has 8 million movies you never heard of. But, you know, she's working, so good for her. But, um, but I do think those two performances, for me, do actually detract overall from the experience. Oh, yeah. So, and yeah. I would even say it's not their fault. It's, you know, yeah, to a like, large degree, it's the direction. It's the direction and the material they're given, and just the characters yeah. themselves. But like, yeah, yeah. But like, they're, you not, know, they're she, not the reason one enjoys the apple for sure. No, no. She she continued to act. George Gilmore, the guy, Alfie. No, this is it. This is only credit. <laughs> Good. I I tried. To, I oh, ask me, oh yeah, you're right. Um, I tried to find stuff on him. You can't. Like, there's a rumor that he was busted for meth. Ooh. Uh. But George and somebody else in the UK might be him, but George Gilmore is a very common name. So with nothing to go on, it's he's very hard to track down. You know, he sings uh Mary, Catherine Mary Stewart does not. They were it's funny because they cast her based on her look because Kobe loved her look and he lied and said she could sing. And apparently she's not a terrible singer, but uh Golan didn't like it. So they eventually dubbed her with a woman named Mary Highland. Uh, she's a singer. She's worked with Irene Cara and Tony Basil. Mm. Like she had a decent career in the studio, which surprises me because in this movie she cannot sing. I mean, she, she's, her material is bad too. Like she has all yeah. the, she has all the worst songs, so it's hard to tell. Yeah, yeah, she has that. There's a song "Speed," and I mean, it's, it's is, a fun sequence, but she's not good in it. No. Yeah, and it has just the way she delivers the word, the chorus. Speed. The chorus is just one word, "Speed," and it's a flat. Speed. No, it's. A, America. No. Yeah, it's bad. Uh, yeah, it's terrible. So, those are the heroes. This movie has many I, villains. P- pause. I, so, for a true Applehead, those aren't our heroes. Those <laughs> are like sick. the losers, like the losers who end up who losers who go to the cave who you leave. Here come our actual heroes. Yes. Well, there is one more. Yeah. So, yeah, the the villain of the film, the the evil record executive who is the devil. He's just the devil. It's it's uh, it's Mr. Boogaloo is not the devil. <laughs> oh, he's the devil. He has a cape. He has horns at some point. He, that is Vladek Shabal. Uh, is he, he Polish, Czechoslovakian? Actor? Uh, well, he's he he mostly worked in the UK, so I don't know exactly where he was from. He was okay. Yeah, he's from he's from Poland. I would imagine. Yeah, yeah. He was he was in concentration camps. Like he escaped. He was a you know. Uh, war well, he, hero. And he shows off his his uh, skill with languages in this film. I mean, he, yes, yes. He does, so, does the interview. Yeah. Very good, very good actor. Oh, He's I, in from Russell with Love. Well, and, and like you know, here here I'm going to like plant my first take. I think that his performance as Mister Boogaloo is part like you know one third of the reason this is fun worth watching. I think he he knows the movie he's in. Kind of. Oh yeah. Like, oh yeah. Like he's doing the best that he can, and like he lights he, up. The, he kind of lights up the screen. 
He's owning it. I yeah. mean, he's, he's in he's in Red Dawn, so I knew him. Uh, oh, he, that's him in Red Dawn. That's crazy. Yeah, he, okay. He's in Red Dawn, so like you know, he's a good actor. He knows what he's doing. His counterpart in the film, uh, Mister Tops, who is basically God. Well, maybe, but like, but like who? Like again, like the way this film is laid out with like yeah, he he, he shows up really, very late in the film. You mean the creepy old dude who lives in the like you know the forest. AKA also God God at the end. Like yes, the, 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 the forest hobo god, aka yeah. Mr. Tops. <laughs> Mr. That's, Tops. That's Jos Auckland. He is a real actor. He's the oh. bad guy in Lethal Up and Two. Whoa. Yeah, diplomatic community. That's him. Yikes. And he's in the hunt for October. He's in the Mighty Ducks. He's oh. in two kind of lesser known films I love. He's in a movie by Peter Greenaway called A Z in Two Knots, which is a very strange movie about a, a very dysfunctional zoo. And he's in Christopher Lee's Rasputin film wow. by Hammer. And that's a very good movie, too. So he's in a ton of great movies. He was a very good actor. I mean, he's, and, he, you know, he's, he's not bad, actually. He has very little to work with here. He has a good presence. He's a big dude. Well, and in his, in his the final scene as Mr. Tops, he does kind of bring, like, this gravitas of, yeah, like, yeah. yeah, it's like, yeah, you know, as terrible as that final scene is, it, he, he he and Boogaloo are doing their best. <laughs> yes, and uh, Boogaloo has several henchmen and henchwomen. Oh, they, uh, and also, so I would interject: they are like this chosen family of Mister Boogaloo who live in that amazing, weird Art, De- Art Deco brutalist tower. They are yes. the heart of this film, and they're they're what's oh, yeah. they're what's interesting, and they're like what's being presented that like as a viewer in you know 15 years ago watching that like oh those are the cool people <laughs> and they they seem to be having a really good time and i like them yeah but, the, yeah. yeah they're presented in, a, in an interesting way well, i want to talk about but shake is like shake is dope shake, shake is, is i've written i have on my notes here shake equals mvp and i have next to that next to, next to that specifically the best the best thing that shake does in this entire film is the Amazing stories, silk like robe he's wearing at the, to the end well, of the film. Well, yeah, he has a silk robe. At one scene, he's decked out in a, wearing nothing but a silk robe and a silver g-string, and uh, that was distracting. But anyway, <laughs> he's played by Ray Shell. He's not much of a movie actor. He's in he's in Velvet Goldmine and a few other movies, but he's much bigger on stage. He was in the original production of uh, Starlight Express. Um, it's that bad. Like, or, how does, yeah, how did Starlight Express never become a film where it's like anthropomorphic trains? Thank God it didn't. Like, I, I, I'm disco glad. anthropomorphized trains that want to fuck, right? That's more or less it? Like, uh. we, uh, Yeah. Um, my boyfriend saw that in Germany and it was an experience, he said. But yeah, so he's in stage. He's, he's, he's a really well-known stage. Not very well-known. He's a very well-suspected stage actor. So this is kind of an uh, aberration for him. Then there's Dandy. Dandy is basically the evil Alfie. Well, and I, I get slight, um, like, you know, actual rock god feelings for him. Like, you know, like Robert Plant-esque, you know. Well, I wouldn't say Robert Plant... He's, he's, he's like I said. He's played by a man named Alan Love. He didn't act much. He was a singer in some failed glam bands. I forgot the name of. When I see Alan Love, I see Roger Daltrey. Mm, oh, His right, hair right. is the same. Yeah. His mannerisms are the same. He. Ve- yeah, I would. I would. I would completely imagine that when his direction was, "Yo, be like Roger Daltrey," and he is like Roger Daltrey. But unfortunately for him, he's like Roger Daltrey in 1985, <laughs> and he does not have the charisma. His voice is fine. He's. He's good. He's a good looking dude he's a cute guy he's very like you know 
Kaiga beat Q. I he's guess, the least but, interesting of this group of, of and the family. Yeah, he, yeah, he is. He is. He is not interesting. However, his counterpart, the the evil BB, is Pandy. Pandy is played by a woman named Grace Kennedy. Grace Kennedy is a Jamaican-born uh, woman who lives in the UK. It's kind of hard to find information on her because there is a Jamaican company called Grace Kennedy of no relation to her. Mm. <laughs> well, she, she is. She's very beautiful, and she's the she's gorgeous. She's interesting through yeah. line. She's really the only character that, that kind of changes and like is the movement of the plot actually. Um, and she has the be- she has the best song too. She so. has the best song, in my yeah. opinion. Yeah. She's beautiful. Her costumes are great. She actually shows good emotion. So she was a singer. She was moderately successful. She had a few albums between 1979 and 1981. They were kind of minor hits in the UK. One of them was a minor hit in America. I never heard of it. She had her own TV show in the UK. Oh, wow. uh, which had appearances by who was on that. Um, the King Singers, who are an acapella group in the UK, and a few other, it was a variety, mostly singing so. And I, there's a couple episodes on YouTube. Unfortunately, she did one with the Pointer Sisters. That one's not on YouTube. I wish it was. And But it was good. She's a good singer. And I, she has good stage energy. It's funny because now she works as a luxury events planner. <laughs> like, And if you go to her, her website and go to the bio... Her bio mentions her BBC show. Her bio mentions her albums. Her bio does not mention the Apple. <laughs> well, if I was in London and had a lot of money past coronavirus, I would uh, hire her to make my uh, BIM-themed extravaganza. <laughs> I think she would kill you. So, yeah. So, yeah. Um, we keep saying BIM. So, we now we got the, we got the players here. We know who's well, involved with this. You actually left out that. one... One other, oh. like the most uh, side character, but I think I find him interesting. That's oh, who's that? Ashley, I think his name is. He's like the, so he's like the Philip Seymour Hoffman of Boogie Nights to the BIM franchise. He's like that on the a fantastic way of putting it. Right, yes. He's like on the periphery, designing all the cool shit. Kind mm-hmm. of a little like you know, not as cool as everyone else, but like still part of the family. And Boogaloo likes him. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. and that he's he's played by a man named Leslie Meadows. I don't know much about him. He didn't act. In a ton of films, but, he but he did like, some Doctor Who. But like throughout, I remember the first time I saw it after all the gel shots. I still remember like he pops up throughout other songs, like has like interesting like little side gags. Like he's kind of he he brings throughout the whole film a weird charisma. Like and all yeah, like more so almost than than um you know so, like uh not Pandy but Dan, Dandy Band, Bandy Candy. What's the guy with the boring guy? Uh, Dandy's the guy. Pandy's Dandy. The yeah, Dan, like, yeah. I almost like Ashley more than Dandy. Yeah, and I think Ashley brings a very camp gay energy to the film, and that is definitely something about the the film I want to talk about. And I do I think he's a funny character. He he's he's presented well, but again, he doesn't have much to work with. Right. In 1994, the world is controlled by one power. is success. There ain't no pride. There ain't no shame. There ain't no sympathy. There ain't no blame. There ain't no pleasure. There ain't the Apple. So, yeah, the movie, everything. as we said, it's a Faustian tale about the record industry, and it takes place in the far-flung future of 1994. 
Well, and it kind of thrusts you right into it as it opens with you know hordes of children of teenagers running to the giant song vision contest in a giant brutalist structure. <laughs> and the movie was filmed in West Berlin. Which looks like the future because it's looks pretty crazy. <laughs> this, the, the, it's all mostly locations shooting and it looks cool. I do like the locations and I do like the props in this film. They have a very cool, very like Logan's run on acid aesthetic. Lots of lots of lots of lucite, lots of holograms. I'm down with lots of lots of shiny outfits and flares. I'm down with that aesthetic. Oh yeah, don't get me wrong. The production design is one third of the appeal, and like among the, among, it's funny you call out like lucite props. Among I'm on my notes is like uh, Boogaloo's amazing like lucite red phone. It's huge. This huge, I love like, the phone. I love the phone. phone. It's ridiculous. It's a great phone. So um, yeah, but the movie the movie just throws you right into it with this competition that is ostensibly well, Eurovision. Prescient, like, prescient. Like there are aspects. The, the what seems like the most boring aspect of this film, the like, oh, you're like singer songwriter signs a contract and gets manipulated by a, you know a big corporation and like things like the song vision contest. Uh, that's all very prescient of the way the industry really would go. In well, I mean, years. I think it's it's prescient, but it's also playing on Eurovision, right? Because you have to remember this is only a few years after. ABBA won Eurovision. It's true. So it starts with a song immediately. A song just called BIM. And it's there ain't no oh god there ain't no blame there ain't no pleasure there ain't no pain I was hooked as soon as it's because the song was so weird and it means nothing. And it's like, like, it's like, what is BIM? Like, and it's like, as a big KLF fan, I was like, well, what's KLF? And like this song, while not nearly as good as, you know, 3AM Eternal or, you know, Last Train to Trans Central, it has a, bit, a little bit of like the same energy as the KLF. And I was like, it's absurd. And the whole crowd already knows all the lyrics. I'm like, well, I think this song is going to win. <laughs> hard, hard, hard disagree with the KLF comparison. So yeah, <laughs> BIM is Boogaloo's, Boogaloo's company, the Boogaloo International Music. And it's like now, a, yeah, it's a logo. They, I don't think that they ever say that you see it on logos it. yeah but they never say what bim that's is true and well your starting song like <laughs> that song is four minutes long well it feels it's a lot like of, hey 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 bim's bim's the only hey, way hey run. hey <laughs> bim's on the way right and you don't know what bim is it's hype i felt like it's part of the appeals you don't really know what it <sighs> is but it's coming <laughs> And it's unavoidable. Well, yeah, I want to know what's coming. Especially if <laughs> it's unavoidable. Um, it, it's it's very disco rock. It's very... There's a lot of choreography. Yeah. A lot of Fosse-esque choreography. A lot happening. of... Fo- lot, oh, oh. Um, <laughs> how dare you? This came out the same year as All That Jazz. And if you want to see a golf in musical quality, watch this and All That Jazz in the same month as I did. I need to rewatch All That Jazz. It's been forever because I just watched Star 80 for the first time, which is very oh, strange geez. for Rossi, which should have been on your list. It should get on your list. I don't, I don't want to talk about Star 80. Um, <laughs> it's a bit, bit too dark and serious. It, it, it is very dark and serious. This, Whereas this Bim, is not, Bim seems fun. It doesn't seem totalitarian or evil in this first song. But well, they, they, but they, they paint the picture early on. You see behind the scenes of Bim and Shake 
talking about how pop, how the song's going to win, and they're measuring heartbeats and yep. excitement and tension and very strange metrics. Well, and this is our first introduction to Boogaloo and Shake, and they're immediately cool, and you like them, though, right? They don't yes, seem yes. they mean they seem potentially like scheming, but they seem cool, and they're they're styled in a very interesting way for 1980, actually. Oh like, yeah, to yeah. be presented as just like in a regular movie that's supposed to appeal to Americans. Yes, yes. But then there, so the Bim song ends, and everyone's like, "This is the best song in the world." And then Alfie and BB come out representing Moose Jaw Canada to sing the Universal Melody. We one another we share each other's destiny united by our love we're all children of the universal family and we are everybody's brother we share this is some Carpenters. Like, okay. uh, now like, I don't. I, I keep bringing up the Carpenters, but, but like that's bad not, Carpenters. Yeah, because Carpenters have bad songs. The Carpenters have good songs. Karen oh. Carpenter was an incredibly was an incredibly talented drummer. Yeah. Okay, I don't want to badmouth them too much, but when you they are the shorthand for smaltzy, easy listening music. I think if you want to be a bit more negative, you could compare it to something like you you light up my life. But this song is just so poor. Like you get that they're trying to be the Carpenters, but it's like a poor imitation. Well, 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 Shane, you might hate it, but the audience low key loves it. Not at first. Not at first. All the du- all the dudes are like this. Bring back Bim. Yeah. <laughs> Bring back Bim. But then, but then it starts to win the audience over, and Boogalo and Shake have to sabotage it. They have to play this. This pink white noise in 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 this clandestine red tape to sabotage. The idea is that the producers and directors at this point think that the audience is going to go along with this and not not be like that song. That second song was markedly inferior to the first song in every possible way. So yeah. so we should yeah. talk about why that is. So you know this movie was drastically rewritten and restaged and directed by uh, Menahan Golan. Golan. And he had a very strange idea of what hippies were and what real art was. And so I think in his mind, that's like, it's kind of like, I think he's trying to make Candy, uh, uh, what the fuck, Alfie and BB like Bob Dylan almost. Like, that's real music. This other stuff, this other stuff is fake candy garbage. And, you know, that's the kind of thing you often see in music fandom. You like get the anti hair metal backlash, the anti boy band backlash. And I'm not saying that's not always justified. I have definitely been in those anti whatever groups. I'm not a big fan of K pop, you know. But to be so anti one thing and then so much no, that's not yeah. real. This is yeah. real. Well, I mean, you the, almost <laughs> always sound like an asshole. It's true. And the juxtaposition between this like interesting, cosmopolitan, diverse, queer coded, colorful, mm-hmm. crazy city life in the tower versus these naive from the sticks losers singing about love who don't understand anything is like, it's just like thrown in your face in the first five minutes of this movie. And you're so yeah, like, and, wait, and these are our heroes. They're like, take, take me to the tower with Boogaloo and his family. They're way cooler. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and you yeah. know, let's bring up. Yeah. So like Boogaloo and shake, especially and 
Ashley, is that his name? Ashley. Ashley yeah, all three. They are they they yeah. are super coded gay. They're like, and e- they're they're glam. Even I think most people by 1979 knew that you could be glam and not be gay. Right. But they are camp, especially Shake and Ashley are very camp, very femme, very 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 coded as gay, and they're the bad guys. And this movie was written by somebody who was pretty religious. Oh yeah. Well, oh, and, and, what does that tell you? And the religious and the, like the religious allegory is so obvious to be laughable, right? And like mm-hmm. it's almost like, well, and like at this point in the film already, the, you know, the, the two sides of the film are clearly drawn. And like now knowing about the production and knowing that a lot of the people like hated the material and were clashing with the directors, you do almost sense now that like oh. Some of the people in this movie know what they're in and are like almost like making fun of the movie that they're in in some yeah, small but way, you know, to a certain extent. But I do feel like like the watching it more recently because I've only seen this movie like three times and watching it the last time it really dawned on me. Oh yeah, they're gay because they're evil, and that to me, like I I don't like to get on my gay high horse, but <laughs> my high homophobia horse, but. That screams to me as homophobic. And there is a kind of gonna go off on a little rant here. There's there's a common belief that the anti-disco backlash of the late 70s was based in racism and homophobia. And oh, yeah, the, the, the I don't disco sucks in, riot in Chicago a lot. Well, there's there's the disco demolition night, yeah. and I wrote a whole thing about that because it was the anniversary of that last year, two years ago. And to a certain extent, yes, that's true. But Part within within media criticism, especially with homophobia, that is a hundred percent true. Now, in terms of the average person, no, because the average person didn't know disco was gay. They just didn't know. Like they don't know what the, they don't know that disco. Came, so in the nineteen seventies, person did not know that disco was started in gay clubs in New York City. They didn't know that. And disco, a lot of the disco backlash. If you hear old interviews of straight white dudes complaining about disco they could if they it's 1978 they could be homophobic if they wanted to they could say whatever they want but they talk about no they don't like it because they have to dress up good (laughs) you know and the music is plastic and that's you know i think a more more realistic because i'm i'm gay and i love disco but a lot of disco is shit it's bad especially the late 70s because i hate I hate the beginning. Oh, it's, it started. Straight. I hate yeah, like the earlier and the earlier stuff is is definitely more exciting. Than- and disco got really bad when it got straight and white. Yeah, you know, so you can't well, to I, me and you to know, me this- saying both to, to me saying the disco backlash is homophobic. I don't buy it a hundred percent because just people didn't know what 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 was like. People didn't know Freddie Mercury was queer. Like, I mean, come on, right? The, we we they didn't have the cultural context well, for it. I think. Given that this this film, like it is like the protagonist is so clearly homophobic, right? That, yes, like, like that, so that in is context, in this film, yeah. So yes, what yeah. My, my point in, in going off on that bit of a tangent is, I don't think that all anti disco backlash is homophobic. Uh, the racist stuff, I don't want to get into. I'm not qualified to talk about it. However, this movie's portrayal of disco and of um, music industry and just of evil is very much tied in, okay, let's make these guys look gay. <laughs> and yeah. it's funny. In, in 2021, that's funny because nobody who, who, the, who the fuck cares if the Apple's homophobic in 2021? It's an old movie that nobody saw. But it is, it's just like 
one movie this has something in common with to me is Phantom of the Paradise, which I've already talked about on this podcast. It has not aired at the time of this recording. I saw that for the first time in the last year as well. Yeah. And the only thing I don't like about that movie is that it's totally homophobic. Like there's a character in that movie who's coded as gay. They call him a queen. They use the F word a few times, you know, and it's an old movie and the bad guys are using the F word. So yeah, that's fine. That's, you know, it is what it is. But when you say, when you use queeniness when the only representation of a queer character is a queeny man who's played for laughs that will get my goat especially if it's like in a vindictive way in phantom of the paradise it's almost hateful Mm. here i think the movie's so ineptly made that Maybe Golan wanted to make them look bad, but he just he did the opposite, and they're fucking rad. Yeah, I think that, that I think you, that you just said kind of like wraps up the appeal because like clearly the story, the protagonist, what the film is trying, it's you know clumsily, very obviously saying at the ending. You can see the intent of the original story was bad, and like. But like somehow the rep- the actual presentation of the villains and some of the songs and like their point of view is really weirdly good and lovable despite the film, you know? That happens right? a lot when you queer when you when you queer code your villains yeah. that can happen that happens in Phantom of the uh, in the Hunchback and Notre Dame by Disney. Right. Well, like and and, and, uh, and a few other Disney films where they well like Ursula in yeah. Little Mermaid like she's clearly a drag queen. Well, and I, have to, I, I, yeah. I have to think that like even though you know, this production from you know Israeli and London shooting in Berlin, which at the time did have a big you know gay scene that like for specifically the what the scene where uh alfie goes back to rescue bb from the oh boy and yeah gets dosed by uh yeah. pandy and he basically goes through this like horrifying drag kaleidoscope nightmare you have to think like a lot of these extras of which there's like 20 or 30 interesting like a cornucopia of like mm-hmm. variety of drag characters like mm-hmm. were you know i don't think the director and writer chose those people right like mm-hmm. all of them like you know, like it's a weird. Yeah. That seems very weird, and he's horrified. Yes. He's like walking yes. horrified. Yes, and and that, that's much later in the film when yeah. Alfie tries to rescue BB. First, BB has to be taken, and BB is taken very quickly. Well, and she she's she's eager. Yeah, she's yeah. she is DTF man. She's ready to go on this. And there's a song, um, Dandy wins over BB with "Made for Me," which is a terrible song. Yes, Just a terrible song. Ugh. And it the, that is that's when the movie really starts to lose me because the editing the editing is so fast and it it's predates MTV and the editing is is a lot of it's cut to the beat but not well and so you'll cut back to like so in Made for Me they cut back to the same shots over and over again yeah. with Ashley turning in his chair and it's just it, it's so corny and not in a fun way and i think and the background singers are very camp and i think this this scene is very much trying to go for a rocky horror vibe and it just completely failed we had mentioned rocky horror and clearly that's a heavy influence on this but they they take a lot of the wrong wrong notes yeah it's like what if rocky horror but bad and then so then there's showbiz so later so well, Alfie showbiz, then, i think show business is the number two best song in the movie i think it's fantastic show business show business is such a strange song and like so many other things in this damn movie it has a kernel of a good idea in it man is clinging to the ropes of the fantasies and hopes we are dangling mr boogalow 
he's so eager to believe and so easily deceived. Like a baby watching magic, he's so gullible, it's tragic in the world of naive. Life is nothing but show business in 1994. It's like the first and only good use kind of a weird magical realism in this movie. That all that this song happens while they're waiting in the lobby to meet Mr. Brigaloo. And it's actually like mainly his song explaining his whole raison d'etre. And then it's yes. like, it just never happened. <laughs> and and yeah, so Alfie goes to rescue BB the first time, and then he's waiting in line, and the the song just kind of starts, and it has one of the strangest choruses because it's just so like life is nothing but so business in 1994, and it the meter of that line is just so strange. It kind of reminds me of David Bowie's 1984 from his. Oh yeah, they want to be kind of plastic soul, right? Well, and, we for, and for that moment, it made me well, like if only you know the her the widow had allowed Bowie to make his stage production of 1984 fully. Oh God! If only yeah. Bowie was Boogaloo, they'd be having right. a much better film. Yeah. So then, uh, then there's then there's the point where the subtext becomes text, and Alfie and BB go back to the uh, be, they go back to the the Boogaloo's office, and Alfie. Has a vision, of apocalyptic vision, an apocalyptic vision where Boogalo is the literal devil. They are in literal hell, and he is tempting them with a literal apple. Let the apple set your soul on fire, fire, fire! You'll be hypnotized and you'll be demonized, but you'll be paralyzed, so you'll be victimized. You're fascinated, captivated, losing your mind when we cast the apple eye on you. Sacred apple, take a little chance, get into a trance, and join me in the apple dance. Take the apple, and juju apple. And, and Dan, Dandy is singing, David Allen is singing, and he's in a gold loincloth. Again, well, a, you know, loincloth game, <laughs> A+. Plus. I'm going to say, um, if you want to see dudes in in metallic gold, metallic loincloths and you know i do okay, then shake is also in loincloth but he kind of has a serpentor look going oh, on God. Shake, yeah shake shake is gay serpentor um well, with a loincloth that should be in 3d this but, uh, this set piece when i was beginning what i call the inconsistent production design of the apple because in oh, this yeah, scene there'll yeah, be like yeah. people whose costumes whose makeup looks pretty good, but next to mm. someone who's just wearing like a costume from the dollar store. <laughs> yeah, and again, this is also when the dancing is back and forth. Like some of it is... T- same thing with show business has some of the worst t- choreography I've ever seen in a movie. But with the occasional like, like moment of good choreography, they're like a bunch of people doing really badly. It's same with same with the Apple, the Take the Apple song. It's like yeah, some yeah. people are on point, other people don't know where they're supposed to be doing. Yes. And I don't want to cover the, – there were only really other three songs I really want to oh, talk about. Oh, through the movie. Luckily, it's a scant 86 minutes, I think. Yeah, oh, it feels so much longer. <laughs> well, every scene with Alfie, you should, like now I sometimes will scrub through them. 
Just <laughs> Yeah. I usually don't like to do complete movie rundowns like this. Because, like, if you haven't noticed, we're not, we don't care about spoilers here. And you have... It kind of kind of lives and dies by its songs, you know. Well, yeah. And musicals can have spoilers. Like, I don't want to spoil the ending to, you know, Singing in the Rain. But this movie, the plot is worthless. Like, there's no reason to see it for the plot. If you want to see it, you're seeing it for the camp value. Yeah. And, and, and the so bad it's good. And this is one but, of the campiest bits, this song. Really oh yeah, but like the two songs, the, the 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 songs I really want to talk about. There's the master, and that is uh, Bugalo's like main song, I think, where he is singing about how he know I know what it's like to be a master. Cultivate the need, corrupt them by the greed. Slaves are guaranteed when you know how to be a master. He knows how to be a master. Reaching the top is such a long, hard climb. Millions of people stand and wait in line. Do you think I got the being patient and kind? Yes, I know how to be a master. And you have two... Mostly black black people Mostly people of color (laughs) talking about being slaves to this man who's the master. And... And it's 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 cod reggae. It's it's white boy reggae, um, and it is uh, it is one of the most uncomfortable scenes in the film. And I I can't. Um, it's one of those things. It's like somebody had to tell them it was a bad idea, and they're like, "No, I don't care." And it's oh, uh, it's well it's before very the, before the master is actually speed because speed happens. After she takes the apple, signs the contract. Oh yes, speed is amazing. Before, so speed, speed, like, before speed, though, she gets this amazing crimped makeover where she gets totally bimmed out, and she looks much better. Yeah, she's a bimbo. I just thought of that. I'm also, smart. at this point, I need to interject with something from my notes because it's been it's been highlighted in several scenes. We haven't talked about it, and that would be mm-hmm. Boogaloo's car, which I wrote next to it. <laughs> The Homer. <laughs> yeah, it looks like the Homer. <laughs> if the Homer from The Simpsons had an affair with the with the ecto with the ectoplasm car. It's like an olive green limo uh. station wagon with spoilers. Hey man, go big or go home. It's Boogaloo. amazing. He, it's amazing. It's something else. But yeah, speed. I love so. BB and Alfie are singing love songs and songs about the harmony of mankind and all these you know, very sappy, romantic topics. She gets a record deal. Within two minutes, she is literally singing about the drugs. The land of the free is shooting up with pure energy. And every day she has to take more speed. America, the home of the brave, is popping pills to keep up the pace. And every day she cries out for more. Also, I want to say, you know, as I'm defending the, the Bim family, they do have a few things I don't. They do some things that I can't abide by. One of them is consent. They have issues with consent, but also, Ooh, yeah, they they ply they ply their, these innocent uh, people with pills and booze and mysterious cocktails. And I do like how very early, like ten minutes into the movie, BB just takes a pill. The, from the, no questions asked, oh, I'll just take it. Like so, yeah. I'm, see, like they're, they're in a very tall building. I've never been this high before. Oh, here, take this. Yeah. What's this? Don't worry, it's safe. It's like you know, I have been in that. I have had that exact same conversation with somebody, and I, I did not take that pill. 
Yeah. So, so her, you know, singing speed a little longer. It's like, well, I'm not that surprised really. And then, yeah, America's on speed. That speed sequence is filmed in some amazing nightclub in Berlin. It looks fantastic. That's it. Yeah, yeah, but again, a lot of the choreography is just people sitting in motorcycles. Like yeah. it just, you <laughs> and know, the song, and the song is like one, like one line over and over again. Too. Yeah, yeah. And then there are some sappy ass love songs. Nobody cares. No. And then finally, so Alfie goes back to rescue BB, even though she probably does at the time doesn't want to be rescued. We've let, we've let, we've we because 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 the seeds are so so bad. We've deleted like his loving landlady oh yeah that's another real actor that's miriam margoloys i feel like she was she in black christmas i feel like i've seen her where was no, she? she is in um season the age of innocence season oh. romeo and juliet academy award Most. academy nominated the age of innocence she's in the harry potter films she that's, is in I, did she play like an aunt or who is she in harry potter i don't i don't watch harry potter so you're no. on your own now the age she's of professor innocence. Professor Pomona Sprout. She's in How to Lose Friends and Alienate People. She's in Doc Ma- the Doc Martin TV show. She's in. She's a voice actress. She was in Happy Feet and Flushed Away, oh. and I think some of the Wallace and Gromit. She's a fantastic actress, and she she survived this film. And it's not even her worst film because she was an End of Days. I mean, she's very broad in this. She's not, but she's she's not terrible. Well, she's playing a Jewish stereotype. Yeah. Um, and that was Golan's idea to put this character in there. She's the landlady of Alfie, and she's she's very oh, you have to have your soup, and oh dear, and You're nursing him back to health, inspiring him to go rescue BB. Oh yeah. She's also how you get interest introduced to the fact that the BIM Corporation has taken over the world. That's because true. yeah. She's the very first. Her very first scene is a policeman telling her she has to wear the BIM mark. That and is, the BIM mark. That is true. BIM, oh, this fucking movie. So the BIM mark is a holographic triangle. It, there's multiple different varieties. It looks some are prismatic. The different colors. Yeah, well, whatever. Yeah, it's prismatic. It's a little shiny triangle. You have to. You have to wear it. You have to wear it. People seem because, pretty. Ha- people's pretty happy. Yeah, because you know, in this in this heavy-handed allegory about good and evil, there's a plot point where everybody has to have a sh- a certain mark on their body if they want to do business. Yeah, that is Jeez. That's, that's problematic. That's a little problematic. Well, that's the, it's, it's the mark of the beast. It's, 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 the, positive, it's the mark of the beast. The positive sign of BIM taking over, I would say, is what I would like to call the BIM hour sequence, which I think is oh. the comedic highlight of the film. Do you disagree? Uh, that's you know, I, I can't say, like, this is when the film lost me because it's every scene. But so they show later on that at one hour a day, everybody has to stop and work out. And by work out, I mean they have to dance to the goddamn BIM song. So we they, are set, treated- they set it up well by, like, showing you cutting to several different sequences, like a cola bottling plant, some surgeons working on somebody, some firemen take, putting out a fire. Yeah, and they all have to stop and dance. And dance. And to, like the chorus of the, to the chorus of the BIM song. So you have to hear the chorus to the BIM song again. I'll tell you, at five in the morning in that theater, uh, after lots of drinks and drugs, it was that scene it was a laugh. BIM's riot. on the way to my to my asshole. Um The guy having open heart surgery is dancing to the BIM song. <laughs> the firemen are good dancers. One of them has a high kick that's really good. But the the only song in the film that I legit like, like I would own, is coming.
so we're about to get to coming because like yeah, just, just, oh, we always are so we finally reached the point at which our horrible hero, boring ass Alfie, has reached the amazing, kind of phallic looking tower of uh, of Boogaloo, yes. and he meets the Pandy at the door, who uh, is excited to see him. Pandy says, "Oh yeah, uh, BB's here. I'll help you find her. Drink this and special drink, special drink." And then Alfie is accosted by a bunch of. Uh, cross-dressing drag, of drag performers yes. and stumbles in different scenes of depravity. It is very much like Studio 54 gone haywire. And during this whole sequence, Grace Kennedy as uh, Pandy is singing a song called Coming. I'm and coming. It is not a double and it is not a double entendre. And it's full it, on four on the four disco and it's good. It's 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 good. Well, it's, but like the lyrics, it's just I'm coming. Like I want <laughs> well, I want I want every inch of you inside of and me. And I think everybody it, agrees that this is the highlight of the film, the peak. And it's amazing because like I would actually It's the climax if you watch will. it again. <laughs> for this film, this totally prudish PG film. It is actually kind of sexy. <laughs> There's I no mean, nudity, no no nudity whatsoever. I want to read um, some of the lyrics to "Coming." I'm not going. Okay, so <laughs> let I'm coming. I'm coming for you. Let me tempt you and tease you and pet you and please you and squeeze every inch of your love. Uh, come and take me and shape me and mold me and make me and fill me with your fire. Whoa. Make it harder and harder oh. and faster and faster. Damn. And when you think you can't keep it up, I'll make it deeper and deeper and tighter and tighter and drain every drop of your love. I want that to be my like uh, lip sync for my life moment. Is and coming. Oh, God. But like the song has two parts, basically. There's that part. And then it becomes an instrumental. And when it becomes an instrumental, yo, it's I Feel Love. Yeah. Well, and how, like, the way this scene is shown, it is like rot- eight like eight rotating beds. <laughs> well, so, okay, also, so, suddenly, despite this layer previously being like the land of pansexual weirdness, it's we- super coupled up heteronormative people. It's a heteronormative orgy. Yes. Well, um, there is some racial variety, which is good. Yeah, yeah, you know, and uh, it, it is it is a heteronormative orgy. Everyone's paired off, but it is synchronized fucking, and and all in the same no, room, all together, all in the same room. You know, that scene is great. That it's is really a great. <laughs> that and, is a fantastic and like, scene. And like, if this is supposed to be the pinnacle of evil, the film is instead presenting all of these scenes at Boogaloo's Hideout as like the cool shit. I think like. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, again, again, I think the movie was made by people who would think you're seeing a bunch of gay characters. Oh my god, they're evil. They're like, oh, how do I go? How do I hang out with these people? <laughs> Not me. I'm watching it, and I'm like, girl, like you know, if I had if I had the body for some of those outfits, trust me, I'd be on it. Yeah, and I think um, I think that's the central crux of this movie. It's like it it doesn't know that it's actually presenting something so cool. It doesn't know it's gay. Right. You know, it is it is it is the conservative it is the conservative Republican senator of films. It it doesn't know it's gay. If it knew it was gay, it'd be much happier. Trust me. Well, and it, and is the, and is the idea that he he's being he's been completely seduced and Pandy is actually like dead. They, they have they, they have they do have yeah. sex. They have sex, and then he finds BB having sex with uh, uh, uh what's his fuck Bandy. Bandy. Dandy. Well, and and I, then, I, like that, I like that scene too because BB's like, "Who are you?" <laughs> <to> <laughs> I have, 
I have never been in that situation, but I have been around people who are so hopped up on goofballs that they see me and they go, what? What? Huh? Uh-huh. Who? who what? What's going on? So, you know, that's funny. And then he leaves. He's sad. Uh, you know, BB is sad. Alfie is sad. Uh, Pandy is sad because... BB is sad. Candy's like, it's too late for me, but you have to go. Go be with your man. No, yeah, no. I'm so dis- I, this is this is Pandy's turn where I'm like, no, you have it. You, you have it so so well here. You should not. Betray- you're in you're in you're in drugs. You're in you're in drug slut heaven. Like, go for it. And so they get back together. They 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 live in a commune, basically, well, with a bunch of well. Bunch before, of, before we get to the commune, though, I will say at this point, like you know, BB's heart really wasn't in the Boogaloo Empire. She has signed the contract, but like, I'm not surprised that ultimately she wants to go back to Alfie. And at, yeah, because he's so great. <laughs> so, but they're, they're both losers. You know, they, they're from the same place. But and at, and at this point, outside of the forced calisthenics and dancing and having to wear the sticker, Bib hasn't really done anything bad because I, I wrote one of, one of my notes is right before right before like uh at one point when alfie uh confronts trying to take bb out of the homer car with uh, <laughs> uh with, with uh, dandy yeah. is that his name dandy yeah yeah dandy it's dandy. actually alfie throws the first punch i was watching it's yeah. alfie yeah. Who throws the first punch and then like the two the two weird thugs the thugs we haven't talked about who have like weird teeth possible mutants the demons the demons, demon the demons. they're the ones who beat him up then but really yeah. like Boogaloo hasn't done anything other than possibly sign BB into an unfair contract which is par for the course yeah you know you're right to a certain extent but one thing one thing I don't like about the so there's again drawing back to Phantom of the Paradise Phantom of Paradise and this one of the bigger i think one of the both films problems is that you are aware very early on that this man's evil yes. and in phantom of paradise it's um swan he's, and this is but, he's so, but he, you know, he's so lovable at the same time but well i mean we like them for the camp value yes but i think if you want to make a movie about someone an innocent person being corrupted i think a better way to do it would be not for you not to know that the person's evil True. You know, because that's that's more realistic. People don't just say, well, I'm a good person and I believe in Jesus, but I want money. Like they justify it. They 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 get or they get deceived or they deceive other people. And there's deception and lies and all that stuff. And the evil evil is never boogalow. Evil is never. Hi, I'm Mr. Evil. Here's <laughs> right. my money and drugs. Please come with me. I get that. That's hard to do. You know, I get it. That's very difficult. Very few films can do that. But that doesn't make it not boring when when a movie does it like this. Well, at this point in the film, the viewer, all we've had is, you know, what's clearly this, you know, not complete reality, obviously, this movie has presented to us. And there have been weird moments of magical realism. And clearly, Boogaloo is coded as being evil, you know, the Apple. Mm -hmm. Uh, But, like, there has been no representation of christianity it's not as if at any point in this film have we been introduced to anything any rep- you know anything ant- ant- antagonizing boogaloo right so when, yeah, until so when until the last Alfie's, 20 minutes right. when alfie goes to the woods and meets a hobo and then 
And I just look. I just want to get this over with. Alfie goes to the woods. He meets a hobo. The hobo's like, "We're a bunch of hippies. We live in a cave because we don't like television." That's what he says. He's like, "We're literally and hippies from this 1960s." He we're we're hippies from the 60s. <laughs> and uh, BB comes. She joins them. They have a kid there. Flash forward. Yeah, uh, what, however later, a year later, uh, Boog- or something. Boogalow yeah. comes to take uh, BB away because she's under contract, and at this point, Boogaloo does control the world completely. And uh, the hobo god is like, "No, be- everyone freezes because they can't move." A um, uh, Mercedes <laughs> comes out of the, the sky, sky. <laughs> and it was revealed the hobo leader is somebody named Mister Tops, which and Alfie just mentions, and like BB's yeah. like, "Who?" And he's like, "Don't worry." I would about imagine him. I that that screen that's something that was cut out of a script. Yeah. So yeah, Mister uh, Tops, this, this commune of hippies is run by actual God. Like actual literal god, and he raptures them. But also, he looks a little bit like Elrond Hubbard. Do you know? Like I wrote in my notes. I think I, I would say that's a coincidence. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, can uh, can uh, I always forget them mixed up? Pandy. Grace, Pandy, Pandy. Pandy goes to uh, walks to heaven. No, with, Pandy. It's Pandy. Yeah, Pandy. Yeah. Pandy. Pandy goes to heaven with them and leaves. Leaves uh, shake and dandy. Well, and, and then Boogaloo, obviously Boogaloo knows Mister Tops and Boogaloo. Well, yeah, they go. That, that, they, they go that, in, you know, the BFFs. The BFFs. And Mister <laughs> Tops is like, "Oh, I found a new a new home that I'm going to take them to, and you're you can't come like this time. Like, yeah, we're going to do it without you this time, Mister Boogaloo." Yeah. You know, God's like, you know, people always say that if I'm God, why didn't I make the world evil? And I, you know what? They were right. So <laughs> I'm going to go do that At now. the end, Mr. Boogaloo gets to keep Earth. Yeah, then, he gets his own – yeah, he gets to keep Earth and all the squares go away. Yeah. So, hey, everybody it's wins. A, I think it's a win-win. And, like, I remember this weird day of Sex Machina. I was like, what is any of this? Yeah. But then, yeah. like now, reading the context of – what was supposed to be the opening scene of the film? Have you, you, what was supposed to be the opening scene of the film? So I only read about this in the last year. Mind blowing. Uh-huh. Okay, so of the ten million dollar budget for this film, a full one million dollars was oh yes was for this opening shot of the creation of the, the creation myth with Mister Tops creating uh, Alfie and BB with like a Garden of Eden animals. And they had built dinosaurs, and apparently, uh. dinosaurs malfunctioned, fell over. One of the tigers escaped. <laughs> Mister Boogaloo <laughs> fell. Fell. Mister Boogaloo fell in a river. <laughs> and so, and so, and like apparently, in two thousand eight, they found a uh. It's called like a like a work print version oh, of that. I did hear about this. Yes, and they yes. and like there's some clips from this in it, and they showed it at the Alamo Draft House in Austin. I just read about all this. I'm like very jealous because like, and it's not on the Blu-ray. There's a Blu-ray that came out. None of that's on there, unfortunately. Yeah, but like, had that opening scene been in this film as a framing device, a it'd be even worse. <laughs> like, <laughs> right? Yeah, it'd be, it'd be, yeah, it'd be, yeah. But B, it would make the ending make be less of a jarring. What the, what the f? Uh, but uh, I like the idea of like a million dollars being spent on this crazy production of that was like literally falling apart while they're filming. Yeah, yeah, and I guess that does give it a bit more context, but it still doesn't. It wouldn't make it a good movie, obviously. No, no it and is. So, 
it is an F plus of for me of the highest order. It's like a complete yeah. disaster. Yeah, and that's what I want to talk about now because like this movie came out, it bombed. Like it's you, you can't even find box office information on it. Like I don't, it, I I can imagine it, the, the the screening was so the first screening was so bad that Golan threatened to kill himself. Like that's how much the movie failed. It was a complete failure. The soundtrack was a failure. Well, it, it's, was, it, it's, was it the Toronto Film Festival? It was like I, I forgot what film festival it was. It but was, it, the, it, it was it, in Canada. Maybe it was a different city. But uh, it was a moose star. No, I don't know. Um, <laughs> well, did you read about the one specific thing about about this? So it it showed at this film festival like a full two or three months before it had theatrical debut, and like they, the producer, the director, they all thought it was going to be well received and be this huge hit. And they like, you know, it was the big theater opening premiere night and they'd handed out vinyl copies of the soundtrack to everybody mm-hmm. in the audience. And during the film, people are booing and throwing the records at the screen. <laughs> Yo, and as someone who collects records, right? a, a vinyl with some a vinyl with some velocity, that can that can fuck I you know. up. Like, just imagine yeah. that. Imagine like the, the nightmare of like thinking that they were going to like it and that happening. The movie was, you know, rediscovered as a cult classic and as a great bad, quote unquote, a great bad movie. And like one of the reasons I was hesitant to even do this episode is like this movie has been talked to death, you know, by how did this get made and other bad movie podcasts. And, you know, there's a whole make there's a whole oral history of this, which is where I got a lot of my information on 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 slash film. If you want to read about it, it's very fascinating. But one thing that. I think what is a thing to talk about with this film, because Shane, you for you and for many people, this is an eminently watchable bad movie, right? I think so. Yeah. Now, for me, it is not, and it's not just because, like the homophobia stuff. Like I, I love movies that are far more problematic than this. That's not why I don't like it. For me, the best, so good as bad movies are usually action films or horror movies. And for a movie to be so bad, it's good for me. It has to not know it's bad. <laughs> and it has to be made from an honest place. So, like, for me, a fantastic... So, like, those Sharknado movies, I don't give a shit oh, about that. Shit. They know they're making a bad movie. That's no fun. But the Miami Connection... Uh, have you seen the Miami Connection? No. That is a movie made in the 80s by an independent group that was lost forever, and then the Alamo Drafthouse found that. That is about a rock and roll group who battles motorcycle ninja drug dealers. It's that sounds even good. better than it sounds. It is 100% sincere. The movie has a philosophy to it. The director is in the movie, and he tells you his philosophy in the movie. And it is ineptly made by people who think they are making a great film but it's entertaining in its earnestness. This movie, I think, they they thought they were making a good movie, but I guess maybe just for me, it's bad musicals don't work as funny. Like I maybe I like music too much, and I just get so angry when I hear bad music that I can't take it. I don't know. Like what 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 is it about this movie that is so bad? It's good for you. It's it's a it's a combination of the the production design the you know the the weird setting of Berlin 1979 com- combined with you know the weird mishmash of good and bad costuming production effects makeup mm-hmm. hair music it's you know it's such a jumble 
And like, yeah. okay. like the highs are high and the lows are really low. And like, it, it kind of goes all over the place. And, you know, and the, the narrative is so laughable that mm-hmm. like, you can't help but laugh at it. And you're like rooting against the protagonist. And I think <laughs> despite the problems with representation, like it kind of, in spite of itself, like if you if you oh, decide yeah. to celebrate the characters you like in this film, you can kind of like champion them and and like yeah. Don't get me wrong. The problems with representation I have in the film that's a me issue. Yeah, and I don't I don't begrudge anybody for getting an, another reading out of it. Like right. that's totally fine. I I I'm a bit. I'm a bit like I have gay friends who watch this movie and they have hated it for reasons unrelated to that. And some have liked it for that. So I am, I am, I am me. And that's just how I feel about it. Yeah. That's, I want to make that perfect. Well, it's interesting because I, I feel like I can celebrate like Boogaloo and shake and, you know, and some of, this, some of those characters, even though maybe the film is saying, Oh, these, these characters are damned and terrible. But like, I, yeah, think, yeah. I, I think they come away the best in the film. So I, they're, I totally they're get memorable, that. Yeah. Right. You know, yeah. I, I actually think, I always wondered if if uh, what Chris Tucker was doing in Fifth Element was a bit of an homage to. Well, I would say probably at this point the Apple was not an easy at that point in time the Apple was not an easy film to find. So I right. would highly doubt it because uh, I don't even think if, if this got released on VHS it had to be just Bailey. But, but uh, maybe it really it was like in some cult circles in New York or something, a known thing in the 80s, right? It's a, it's a Canon film, and Canon MGM owns this film now because MGM bought the Canon library when Canon went under. But Canon was an independent company when this film was made. And this film came out, this is a lot similar to another movie on this podcast, uh, Sorcerer. I'm the only person in the world who will ever say, you know, the Sorcerer and Apple are something in common. But but it came out in 1977 and it bombed. And that was when VHS became a thing for movies in 1979-1980. So it wasn't it wasn't new enough to get automatically released and it wasn't old enough or regarded enough to be a classic. And I am I think that's probably what happened with the Apple. It it came out in 1980. By 1982, home video was a thing. But this movie is now on anyone's list to put out on video because it would lose money. Right. So it just didn't, if it got released on video, it couldn't have been for a long time. And then it really wasn't until MGM owned it that it got that release. And now it's on Blu-ray Yeah. and it's on Amazon. If you want to watch it, uh, unfortunately the version on Amazon is not HD. It's compressed and kind of hard to watch. And that, that's a bummer because the best thing about the film was the design. Yeah. And so if, if you can't make out the detail in the design, that takes away from it. If you can get a hold of an HD copy and you like campy, so bad it's good movies, you might – I mean most people like it. I'm the minority, you know, and you go. But <laughs> It's definitely me, bad. Yeah, it's definitely bad. You know, I, I one thing that is interesting about it, like we, we talked about how it is funny how two of the guys who were in this worked on American Idol. Right. And the parallels between that and this. One thing I really see with this, one huge parallel is that is actually probably more accurate is between the recording, how the record industry in this movie controls everything compared to the Japanese media complex. So, you know, I live in Tokyo and in Japan, there's a record label called Johnny's. Do you know what that is? Oh, yeah. It's like the manufactured 
girl groups, boy groups, right? Boy groups, mostly boy groups, boy groups yeah. um, and girl groups. But they are st- that's where SMAP came from. SMAP was the boy band in Japan, like beyond big. Right, and if, and you're, if you're big, you do TV, you do all sorts of things. If you're big, you do TV, you do movies. Like once you're in Johnny's, you're in. And if you want to cover, if you work for the media, and you want to cover anyone in the media, then you have to be good to Johnny's, because if you're not, they will blacklist you, and you're fucked. Right, which so like Boogaloo does Johnny, the, <laughs> the owner of Johnny's, the person who founded Johnny's, or the person who was in charge of it, literal monster, horrible, like things I don't want to get into. You can probably imagine he ran a boy band label uh, that was barely touched upon when he died. Right, that was just a few years ago, right? Just that was just a few years ago, yeah. and there was a lawsuit and all this other stuff and he sounds like a complete and total monster like 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 Lou Pearlman times a billion and but if you want to get the John if you want to get smap on your on your talk show and you do because they're the biggest thing in Japan then you have to ignore that but that is the one thing I see in the app where I'm like oh yeah that makes sense well, that's totally realistic and, and that like, could totally happen like mark, you know like the whole marketing first idea of like oh we've already oh, yeah. we've already sold your first album she's like we haven't done it it's like well that's marketing you know like we market it first we sell it later baby right and yes. like the logos and the fact that Ashley's like coming up with new ideas and the, the fact that you know, the bib mark is like his great marketing idea you know it's like <laughs> so yeah like there, there, are, there are small aspects of it that like are actually, you know, slightly thought-provoking, but then it's so heavy-handed with its moralistic narrative. Yeah, and I yeah. feel like if, like, the same thing going back to Phantom of Paradise, if you remade the Apple in 2021, it would be better, not just because you would hopefully get better people to work on it, but more people know about the music industry now, and the music industry is even more corrupt now than it was in the 70s. It's true. Well, and, you know, with people like Scooter Braum and... uh all kinds of evil, like and Doctor Luke, and all these terrible, horrible people. You could make a movie like this, and you could get like if if the if if the battle was say between what would be a good what are two two sides of a pop coin? If you had the real the quote unquote well, here's here's what you do: you have the quote unquote real band, real act, be Taylor Swift now. <laughs> And you have the evil act be Taylor Swift six years ago. <laughs> and because I think that would work. If, if you get good acoustic music with a pop pop uh, side to it, then you can make that, 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 that division works and it's more realistic than in the Apple when like who – who would want to hear "Love Is a Universal Melody"? Well, I yeah, mean, nobody it, wants. If to you hear took that. the skeleton of this narrative and tried to update it, rewrite it, recast it, change things, like you, I think there is something to work with here, and I think it like, could also be fun staged as like a live musical if done with the right, yeah, the right. Frame. Yeah, I, I mean, like, give this idea to Boz Lerman. <laughs> yeah, actually, you know, yeah, give it to Boz Lerman. Like, give Moulin it- Rouge has a little bit of Apple energy, but just like a thousand times better. <laughs> oh, well, Moulin Rouge is like, oh my god, don't even get me going on Moulin Rouge. I love that movie. It's funny, you know, mentioning Boz Lerman. Though, you know what I need to watch? I haven't seen is Australia. I hear it's terrible. I well, you see, I don't need to watch it because I heard it's terrible. <laughs> and uh, life is too short for too many terrible films. Yeah, but I want to wrap it up. You know, so. I've been very negative on this movie. I still, but it is on Amazon for free. 
you know, if if you have Prime well, and in America. It's not something that requires a close viewing. You can it's it's you know, of the twenty times I've watched it, half of them have been like in the background at a party. You know, it's really there's really only four or five scenes that are worth watching, really. But they're fun. Yeah, I'll I will give it this. It's not boring. So right. that is the that is the worst thing a bad movie can be. Yeah, it can be boring. If it wasn't set in Berlin and didn't have some of these fun sets, it would be boring. But it's but well, like, yeah. But yeah. also, I think the first time the first time you watch it, it is so what the fuck is going on? Yeah. that it's not boring. Uh, it, this is one that actually, in my opinion, gets worse with repeat viewings because you're not surprised. Uh, some bad movies like Miami Connection or um. I can't think of any other off the top of my head. Some bad movies get better the more you watch them because you see more mistakes. Yeah. You see more funny things. The Apple, the bad, the the entertainment comes from being shocked about the ineptitude. And once you get over that, it's just a boring it's it's not a very interesting movie with bad songs. It's true. Yeah, because that, that first time you're like, I must have missed something. This ending, this coda is so terrible. No, wait, this is like what was intended. Thank you. Oh, well, well I, I hope to, in the future, in a future season, to come back and discuss a mediocre or good film with you. So Yeah, I mean, this is like I was telling him before. Um, you know, when I first started this podcast in my head, I was like, I want to talk about the, the podcast had a different name. And it was going to be about movies that the types of movies that don't get made anymore. And disco musical, yo, cool. high on that list. But the idea of the podcast changed. My ideas changed. I I changed the movies I want to talk about. I forgot to take the apple off that list. And Shane is like, I want to talk about the apple. So, well, congratulations. Maybe we'll bring won. the secret cadre of hardcore Apple stands like me into the into the feed, and they'll stick around for the more nuanced uh, adult fair that you normally cover. <laughs> well, the, the disco musicals, yo, like can't stop the music. Better disco musical. All right. I, so I completely disagree. Well, no. Oh, okay. Now we have to talk about this for at least a minute. Yeah. So can't stop. Let me let me let me tell you, let me tell everyone what can't stop the music is. Can't stop the music. It's the village people movie. Uh, it came out the same year, 1980. Uh, it stars the Villas people, uh, now Caitlyn Jenner, at the time not, and Steve Gutenberg. Who's so oh. bad. Oh, 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 Caitlyn Jenner is terrible. They're both and, they're both bad. And Gutenberg's, they're both protagonist, bad. Gutenberg's the protagonist. It, it retroactively made me dislike Gutenberg more. Oh, he is, he's kind of hot in it, but like... He, he's... Yeah, but, but for me... I, I can't stop the music. I'm not going to say it's a good it's movie. A, it's a I, less believable movie than the Apple. I I think can't stop the music is better staged. It has the lasagna the, the lasagna party scene is well staged. Are you crazy? It's the yeah, it's, worst. I couldn't believe what I was watching. What about what about the milk? <laughs> the, the the milk the milk the milk commercial like the whole milk yeah, plot yeah. like. Yeah. She's good. Actually. That's great, and "I Love You to Death" is a fantastic song. And there's there are a few scenes. There's a scene in that movie where the main character—I forgot her name—she is thinking of the idea of the village people, and she's walking around the, and she's walking around the village and just randomly bumping into people who give who are the village people. And I think honestly think that's a very good idea for a scene. I mean, and it, it does work. And, and they are like, and, and uh, like again, it's not a good movie, but I enjoy watching it because also the camp is played as the good guys. Maybe there's that too. True. And so that's that. 
let's let's not let's yeah you're right well, though. It, it's is, not a it is new york you know it's it's you know it's real it's, it's a village it's a village, village. and uh, then and then um there is xanadu oh yeah which which another one like so you know i'm a gay and for my people xanadu is amazing i would say for everyone else in the world probably not um, some you know and like you know women in the, women in their 50s uh and I love Xanadu. It's it's a flawed film. It has a fantastic soundtrack of, with uh, ELO and Olivia Newton-John. And it has Gene Kelly. And I love Gene Kelly. So that's my favorite disco musical. I would say honorable mentions for disco musical is The Stud. Fantastic. Uh, which is more of a diegetic musical like, like Purple Rain, all the music's in the yeah. movie. And yeah, we you, have talked. You, you turned me on to the stud last time I was in Japan. You told me to, buy, to watch the stud, and it was fantastic. The stud will definitely be on a future episode of this podcast. That is a Joan Collins film written by her sister. And that is the most realistic depiction of the shitty hedonism of disco. And if you want to see what I feel is a legitimately good movie that shows just how the dangers of living this completely plastic lifestyle. Watch the stud. The stud is amazing. Yeah, performance. And like, also actually, much sexier than, than the Apple. For top sure. five, <laughs> top five best orgy in film. History. Yeah. Really, so, really good. I was, I was surprised that I like that. I had never heard of that scene really or seen. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's something else, but yeah. we should wrap up. Uh, thanks for, ruining my week shane i appreciate it and uh hope to have like i said hope to have you back for a good movie um so can you tell everyone on on listening right now where they can find you on the internet you can find me on twitter at shane watch that's all one word shane watch uh it's mostly video game news politics retweets or uh animated gifs of commercials from the 80s yeah you're really good at that i had the Top, you know, high five. Good well, job. Bro. I didn't used to do that so much, but the, the year of, of isolation, it, it has me going back in time a lot. And uh, yeah, and, and I, I'm watching lots of a lot of films that could end up on your future lists. And I, I think that the one good thing about this last year is like for people who are stuck alone, like, yeah, like watch things you haven't watched before. This is like the best totally. time ever. And I think podcasts yeah. like yours is a great place to discover a new film. Thank so I hope, that, I hope that some people, a few people like the Apple, a few people hate the Apple, but check out the Apple. Yes, take a bite of the apple. It might, it might be rotten, but you might enjoy it. And you can find me on Twitter at Lost Turntable and on my, my previously mentioned website, LostTurntable.com. Thanks again for listening. I'll be back soon with another episode of Cinema Oblivion. Five, four, three, two, bam. Bam.